0: Hello and welcome to the Broadcast News Wrap, your shorthand guide to the week's biggest TV news stories brought to you by Broadcast's crack team of journalists. I'm Insight editor Jesse Wittock and this week I'll be joined once again by international editor John Elms. This week we're going big on SVOD. Netflix's results are out and it's good news for the streamer and even better news for Ted Sarandos who's landed a pretty significant promotion. Meanwhile, John has all the details on the latest streaming service headed for the crowded British streaming market. All that, and we'll have a chinwag about what we've been watching on the box in, you've guessed it, the segment that we call What We've Been Watching on this week's Broadcast News Wrap. So how are we doing, John? Are you well?
1: Yeah, not too bad. Bright and early on this lovely morning. It's great stuff. Yeah. Looking forward to discussing all things s with you.
0: Yeah, and we, and uh, in order to make sure that we are bright and peppy, I've got a very strong cup of coffee. Uh, I can see that you do too. Yep. Um, so hopefully the, the chat will be flowing and, and the thought processes will be in order. You've cursed um, us.
1: You've cursed us.
0: Um, All right, so we're talking Netflix to start a podcast today. Their latest results were out yesterday in the US. Um, Again, it's a smash hit set of figures, and there have been some other significant developments in terms of the corporate structure over at Netflix, which just continues to absolutely fly in terms of its uh, impact on the international content market just going to run you through some of the top line numbers here so effectively probably the key statistic out uh, uh, here is that the service added more than 10 million new subscribers in the past quarter that's around the world pushing them closer and closer to the 200 million uh, paid subscriber mark they're now at nearly 193 million memberships their revenues were 6.15 billion so not just a small bit of pocket change and whilst some analysts were concerned that their profits uh, didn't quite hit the levels that they might have expected and that led to a slight share price dip because the markets are fickle netflix's market value is absolutely booming all in all and if you take this set of results for what they are, this is an incredible set of numbers again. And uh, I, was, I tweeted last night, John, I was just doing a little bit of, of background research on the market capitalization of various massive media companies because I'm boring like that. Um, <laughs> and, um, and it turns out that Netflix's market cap at the moment is currently like $231 billion dollars, right? Which is absolutely ridiculous amount of money for a content company. That makes it as of right now, and this is obviously subject to change, it makes it more valuable than Disney, makes it more valuable than Comcast makes it more valuable than AT&T, which is the parent company of WarnerMedia. So it's not more valuable than WarnerMedia. It's more valuable than the telecoms company that runs WarnerMedia. And it's more valuable than Verizon, which is AT&T's biggest competitor over in the US. I mean, if you consider how much bigger the telecoms market is than the TV and content market, that is extraordinary that a company like Netflix, which, you know, 15 years ago, virtually didn't exist or was, uh, was a kind of, you know, an afterthought in the kind of global uh, media world is now effectively, in, in many ways, the most important company out there. It's an extraordinary thing, isn't it, John?
1: Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. I mean, you, you, you mentioned the fact that if, if 15 years ago, Netflix was barely what it is now. You know, you can say that its first original show which I think, I believe is House of Cards, was 2013. That's only seven years ago. And since then, they've, they've, I mean, I don't even want to try and number how many original shows they have around the world. But if they did their first original show seven years ago, they don't really do distribution, if any. It's all kind of licensed stuff they all spent the content is about spend and they rely on their content being good so they can get subscriptions to get to a market cap of 230 but I mean I can't even think about that you know it's 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 quite it's quite staggering and what's been interesting is that you know the the fluctuations in the market because of all the external forces uh, that we've uh, seen have not dented that impact or or has it been you know struck by rivals you know a lot of people dubbed Disney plus as the Netflix killer and they were quite sanguine about the the idea of competition but you know they've they haven't let it detract from what they do and I mean these again these figures are are, are, are a testament to that you know the projection because they had such a stellar first quarter where they had fifteen million subscribers because of you know the the fact that everyone was in streaming, and I think it became a more attractive proposition. They, they were they were they were aware that this might dip, and their forecast for Q two was I think around seven and a half million uh, paid net subscribers to add, and and they 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 that by three million. You know, hmm. so they've they've clearly they've clearly got their numbers in order. Uh, they have you know, they've again. Noted that because of the significant growth they had in the first two quarters of this year, they're gonna they're gonna slow down a bit throughout the year. But you know, if you do all the heavy lifting in the first half of the year,
0: that's good Take, and takes the pressure off the end of the year, the doesn't it? Off. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. And we know that during the pandemic, Netflix has been you know it's really worked out well for the S right? Uh, in a kind of very cynical you know, business. Mind uh, focus that the fact that people have been at home has led to more streaming, but equally that's the case for Amazon and that's the case for Disney Plus. And it's, from what I can tell, neither of those those services added near 10 million subscribers in Q2. So it really is testament to um, the, the the business model and and the kind of the strength of that business. John, I think you made a good point when you were talking about the fact that Netflix isn't a distribution business which is so different to so many media companies out there which rely on the sort of power of their libraries and the long-tail value of their content. I mean, Netflix effectively buys up shows and films in perpetuity so it buys all the rights and just has those rights sat on its platform to attract subscribers and it doesn't try and sell that content on to anyone else afterwards we all thought five years ago that maybe it might move into distribution at some point but that has not been the case at all uh hasn't bought up another studio or anything like that they've just relied on the power of knowing what the right shows are what the right films are and a lot of that comes down to its uh longtime chief content officer ted sarandos who is now as of yesterday also the co-chief executive of Netflix the initial read into that the fact that he is now co-boss with Reed Hastings the company founder is that it looks like long-term succession planning you would think that Hastings as he's sort of moving into his 60s may not want to be the sort of frontline guy Um, and Sarandos who's slightly younger will probably take on the mantle of, of some of that work. I mean, Sarandos is already the, the kind of indie face of Netflix. So he's the guy who goes to the film markets. He's the guy that will do the keynotes at MIP TV. He's been to the Edinburgh TV Festival several times before. Um, and he's the guy who's really built the content strategy. So you can see that him being made co-chief exec is a, a big kind of tick in his uh, on his on his resume and, uh, and the, the support that Netflix uh, has for him. I also note that the uh, chief product officer over there, Greg Peters, has been promoted to COO. So I suppose in, to an extent they might be looking at him as well as a potential successor to Reed Hastings. But it looks like Sarandos' working content has, has kind of pushed him towards the, the point where he's likely to be the next sort of long-term boss of Netflix. Um, just as an aside before we move on, John, uh, Netflix also put out uh, a number of statistics and uh, and figures and audiences attached to their shows now we've talked about this before and we're not going to be the first people to say this but they are bloody meaningless they really are um it makes no sense to me netflix saying that for example their new steve carell comedy space force has had 40 million views in its first four weeks because there's no context to whether that means that's one person watching you know the 10 episodes across or whether that's 40 million different subscribers or, or so you really don't understand you really don't get to understand the context of these numbers They've, they sound very impressive so i'll just reel some more off they're saying mandy callings new dramedy is is also reached 40 million they're saying too hot to handle which is the the freemantle produced uk uh entertainment series uh, that's projected to hit 51 million views in its first four uh weeks like i say who knows what that means it sounds impressive doesn't it
1: yeah it does sound impressive i mean I, it's it's weird i sometimes take those those figures that Netflix put out as a, oh, I might now watch that <laughs> to try it out. So, the Mindy Kaling show, I, I, I probably will sit down and watch, and Steve Grauell's uh, Space Force has been on my list, although. You no, know, various people have told me i should veer away from it i mean that-
0: I'm, a, I'm a big steve Carell fan but i would say that if you have i don't know like the washing up to do or like if you've got if the dogs need a walk i would suggest you do that rather than watch an episode of space force it's really, <laughs> it's, really it's really not very good and when you've got a tv
1: person saying do the washing up instead of watching uh streaming service then you've got a problem with that program no you're right i mean it's it's we we, we joke around a bit but it's because it's it's that kind of situation; these these figures are sound impressive, and I'm sure they they will, you know, if they had a benchmark or a, a something to compare them to, would work out in as you know millions of people watching this show. But because Netflix are quite proprietorial with their audience figures, I mean, I think even producers sometimes don't get audience figures. The people who made the shows don't get it, let alone us, you know, Joe public. It's 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 a bit. It, it's like,
0: you know, yeah, I can say anything, um, but you know, exactly, again. exactly, and I, th- and I think you're absolutely right, I think it's the, it's a marketing tool, isn't it, it's, it, those numbers sound impressive, and there's, and it's much more likely that people will go and watch Space Force today, and maybe people will have different views on that than, than me, and maybe I'm wrong, and it will, you know, that'll be a hundred million the next time they, they quote that show, um, but all in all, it's fair to say, you know, the, the kind of, the never ending good news train that is Netflix is sort of still on track and just, just zooming forwards. Um, It'll be really interesting to see what happens when this sort of slowdown, which they're talking about does happen, whether the context of that means it will still be a really good, you know, six months for Netflix or whether it just means um, it's, whether it's actually a, a sort of significant downturn, we will see, now we're going to move on to uh, a newer SFOD service, which we'll be hoping to make it. Um, and John, you've got the scoop on this one um, story that I know some of the, the journalists within our team have been working on for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is that Discovery are uh, set to launch a new SFOD service in the UK, which looks on the face of it like it could well be a dplay branded service but we don't know that for sure but what's take take us through the uh the thought process that discovery have behind launching this new service and what is it what, what what sort of content will it show
1: yeah so i mean this is the thing that i think the what has been interesting from discovery as you mentioned this is something that um a couple of our colleagues and, and me have been working on basically when discovery launched its avod service dplay in the uk Last October, it, it kind of put another brand into the market in a, in a growing part of the market. in The VOD space, AVOD, has really taken off, and coupled with the fact that it had gained those three UK TV channels in the carve-up of UK TV and, and really kind of strengthened their presence in the linear space, their AVOD proposition, DPlay, became extremely popular. And it's uh, since its launch, it's had you know, um, it's tripled its consumption. Year on year, again, like right, we those those figures are difficult to compare because we don't have a comparison. But it's it's, it's essentially it's grown so exponentially that Discovery have really taken right, you know, VOD spaces is, is is important. And we already knew that because David Zaslav, the chief exec of Discovery in, around the world and the, the global Discovery, you know, has said that Discovery is moving into Wod. They've got a BBC Studios powered Natural History Esports uh, coming. And, and, some, uh, uh, some, and they've been launching a lot of other propositions. And when I spoke to James Gibbons, who's uh, the UK chief, he basically said, we've grown so well in the AVOD space that that is a good jumping off point to enter the SVOD space. And the point with Discovery is that because they're focused on unscripted, they feel that they can offer a, a proposition which is not niche, they're very keen to say it's not, it's not a niche project. It's a real-life entertainment um, proposition because those audience for those shows are, are huge, you know, in the linear space and the AVOD space. So they've got that audience and they feel that they can make a valuable proposition in the SVOD space. So they, they, they've been minded to move in. I mean, it is early days. I did ask because of the success of Dplay, uh, in the UK, whether that, that would be the, you know, the model, would it be a premium tier of, of D-Play, which is, um, which is present in other, other territories. Uh, he, he, I mean, it's so, so early days, they don't even have like a, a name that they might have wanted to put around as the, as the kind of... The, working the, the, the title. Working title, you know, it's, it's really, really nascent. But, you know, the, the, obviously, even in those nascent days, these conversations are going to be, have been really concerted within the company. But he definitely said that DPlay is uh, is the foundation for for what their S4 proposition would look like, or, or, or what what it would what what it would mirror in terms of content.
0: It's going to be the start. And in terms of the indie community, there's a really interesting opportunity here, isn't there? So he's effectively, so he James Gibbons has effectively said that the way they'll start to sort of pivot their commissioning towards shows that will work for this service and he said to you in your interview with him uh, that indies need to watch this space and when a commissioner says something like that and puts things in such sort of clear terms it's definitely worth um, indies out there thinking about how they can sort of adapt their pitches to work on both a linear platform but also on this kind of premium SVOD tier right that's that's sort of the way we need to look at it. Oh,
1: absolutely yeah i mean the, the, the and the reason behind it, it was it was quite i was quite you know in a bit taken aback by how candid he was about what this proposition would offer and what he was willing to say to the indie community as you say and, and he said watch this space and i said are, are you going to be sending out uh, are you going to be hoping to expand your you know your your supply base and he was very very clear on that that yes that because of the different types of commissioning that you get for SVOD. Um, He told the indie indie communities to keep an eye out for the nuances to the commissioning requests that come with a, a new platform. You know, so they're they're really going to make their programming uh, audience-led based on what those those tailored audience of those kind of those brands, those lifestyle entertainment brands. And those, those commissioning briefs that they want for the, that tailored commissioning, again, heavily caveated, we don't know what those programs will be. And those, those, you know, those commissions will have different dimensions. I, I mean, I don't know what, what those different dimensions are. And he, it was too early to say, but you can imagine that they will be looking for, when they, when they send out briefs, you know, pitches that have an added layer that was really clearly high on, on Discovery's agenda, which is great for the indie community.
0: It's really good news, I think, for for the indie community and for Discovery. You know, um, that's uh, it's a really positive step, and it shows that they're they're back in the power of their brands in the market. The the other thing that we obviously need to reference this week, if we're talking about SVOD and in fact AVOD, as it turns out, is the new uh, NBC Universal uh, service over in the US, uh, Peacock, which has been talked about for couple of years now it's NBCU's big push into the SVOD space you know it puts them up against things like CBS All Access it puts them up against it puts them in the same world as Netflix and Amazon and those services in the US it may come to the UK this service they've sort of talked about it coming through Sky if it comes over point is it's it's US only for the time being launches with 13,000 hours of programming from networks such as Bravo USA Uh, sci-fi oxygen they own the dreamworks brand so the dreamworks content on there uh there's third party stuff so we've got viacom uh, paramount lionsgate warner brothers all of those studios have been uh tapped and and content licensed from and then they've got a list of originals which was supposed to be an all singing all dancing list of originals obviously the uh the production shutdown um of the last few months has uh Curtailed some of those. They are launching with their sort of temple show, which is a remake of or or a versioning of the Aldous Huxley um, novel *Brave New World*. Um, and that will will drive some some interest. And they've got things like uh, like you've you've mentioned a couple of times, John. They've done that very American thing, which Netflix like doing of licensing a British show and calling it a uh, an original to themselves. So Peacock Originals, according to uh, NBCU, include Intelligence, which has been on Sky for the past few months. Um, and they've licensed some other shows from from the UK. Um, so interesting that they're going to be that they'll be going. Um, and and how they fit into the market. What's what's your initial read, John? Yeah, well, I mean, you, you've kind of hit the nail on the
1: head. I'm actually I'm utterly fascinated by Peacock. I find it a a really interesting proposition. Peacock is unashamedly doing something different in the fact they've got they've got a free service, ad supported. They've got a, a freemium service, so they've got you know for a higher price you get um, some content, and then they've got the premium service. So they've got a really kind of hybrid model. They have originals, as we've said. You know, they've got Aldous Huxley's Brave New World adaptation, and of course, they've got these acquired originals like Intelligence. And I think that is the interesting part. They've not, as opposed to Netflix, which is very big about owning shows and having Netflix shows and stuff like that. They have not shied away from the fact that they've licensed a heck of a lot of third-party stuff, including from brands that are are you know are competitors. I mean. I, it's it's a really interesting proposition. Um it is it does feel different. They were obviously gonna rely a lot on some live programming as well because sports and news is is part of their wheelhouse, which is different to uh, to board services. Um and they've really kind of backed the strength of their library, be it TV or or film. And I, I, you know, I commend that. I think that's really interesting. It's hard, it's 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 hard to enter this space. I think I think it was it, It's really interesting to see how it goes out. I mean, it will have an international. I'm sure it's going to have a UK presence at some point. Um, and you know, we we broadcast broke the news that Sky Studios would be a key supplier for Peacock. And by the fact that there is an you know intelligence and Hitmen are part of their originals lineup, that is really good encouragement for Sky that there'll be a big. Part of that conversation.
0: Okay, and now on to what we've been watching. So, John, what have you been watching?
1: Well, actually, do you know what? I've 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 come back to a show that I started watching about two years ago, but it's it's third series has only just landed on. I've noticed on Sky Atlantic. I'm watching um, Epics is Get Shorty. I covered it. Uh, I went when I went to one of the LA screenings a couple of years ago. I went on a set visit for the second series. It's an ad- a TV adaptation of the Elmore Leonard novel, but it's, it's it's very much a dramedy. It's 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 a fun, it's it's a great show. I, I, I just put that out there. It's it's got some really funny moments, but wrapped up in quite serious, quite dark uh, drama. And Chris O'Dowd, who you know, if you imagine what he what he's done in the past, a kind of a, a dorky, goofy comedic, comedy, goofy yeah. comedy. You know, the IT crowd. He is an excellent term as a kind of uh, a, a, a mobster turned film producer. I mean, it's, it's got that TV element as well. It's all set in the production landscape, so it's got that kind of free sort of interest for for me as a as a writer about TV. And it's a very under the radar show. It's one of those ones that always comes into like. People's list of things you might not have seen, but it's
0: it's got serious premium talent. Um, I'm I'm am sold, John. I like I love the book. So um, yeah, maybe I'll get onto that next. But what I've been watching, or what I wanted to mention, was mm. um, I caught up on the first episode of the Rise of the Murdoch Dynasty, uh, the new BBC documentary from Seventy Two Films. Now, two things to say about this or well, three things. One, I'm really, really interested in the Murdoch family and the way that they've impacted on media. So this appeals to me naturally as a viewer. Two, really, really good documentary. It's excellent. Everything about it is really well done. The access, the voices they've got, there's, you know, Alistair Campbell's talking there. They've got uh, Andrew Neal, they've got Murdoch right-hand men. Um, they don't, Unfortunately, so far, have uh, the the uh, man Rupert Murdoch himself, um, but you never know. Um, but in any case, it's a really like, incredibly detailed and well-put-together documentary looking at how the Murdoch family impacted British politics, impacted global media, all that sort of stuff. But on a more kind of... Uh, well, let's talk windowing for a second. I have absolutely no idea why this isn't available as a full box set on the BBC i iPlayer. It. it makes no sense at all that it isn't because it's quite a slow moving documentary, but it's really engrossing. And it's exactly the sort of thing that Netflix would expect people to binge sort of all six episodes in a row, right. Or in in a day or in a couple of days. And they're going to be rolling this out from what I understand weekly. Um, And it just feels like the wrong way to watch the show. To be honest, I would, I would easily have done another one last night if I'd been able to, I wasn't. And now I'm going to have to wait for another week. And the chances are with the amount of stuff out there and with, with life as it is, it might take me, you know, ten weeks to end up watching this show, whereas I could have easily done it in two days. So I don't know. It's uh, the BBC will have their reasons for windowing it the way they have done. I just feel like in this case they've missed a trick. I tweeted to this effect last night, and I noticed that a lot of people in the tele industry immediately came back agreeing with me. So maybe I'm right in in this instance. But all in all, like a brilliant show, absolutely recommended, and a really really good piece of work. Yeah, made made, made you talk about it. So it did exactly and on that note john uh, i think we've talked enough svod uh, and vod for for uh, for at least this week uh, i'm sure we, we may well do again next or in coming weeks but yeah thanks for joining me today uh, and we'll see you again soon cheers jesse thanks for listening to the broadcast news wrap I'm Insight Editor Jesse Wittock, and I've been talking telly with my colleague John Elms, our international editor, who today doubles as our podcast editor too. You can check out this and past episodes of the Broadcast News Wrap on Spotify, iTunes, and at www.broadcastnow.co.uk.